Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The Champions League is back and to be fair, so is the Europa League, Man United fans, which means there's no better time to sign up for all the unrivaled coverage at The Athletic. Right now, new subscribers can get a half-price annual subscription that works out less than £1 a week for an entire year. All you have to do is head to theathletic.com slash totally. But hurry, you've only got until the 25th of February. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. How long ago was Everton's last win at Anfield? Well, podcast didn't exist. Phil Foden didn't exist. And we hadn't even gone into lockdown yet. 22 years later, Everton this weekend finally laid the streak to rest. So we talk about the Toffees and ponder how, just the week before, they'd lost 2-0 to Fulham. Speaking of the Cottagers, they've been busy too, moving one win from safety. And there's big news in the top four race as well, as the Hammers go clear in fourth. All that, plus what to expect as Chelsea take their tired legs to Romania, Bucharest, yes, that's where they'll be playing, in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday 22nd of February, spring is in the air, listener, and you're tuned to the sounds of the TFS. Uh, Today with uh, Dion Fanning's joining us. Hello, Dion. Hi, James. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Especially so because I'm joined by Adrian Clark. Hello, Adrian. Hello, yeah. Thanks for uh, giving me a run out. Not at all, Adrian. Always a pleasure. And our Monday regular, Daniel Story. Hi, James. Big thoughts on the weekend. I know you feel it was a particularly exciting and kind of momentous Premier League weekend. West Ham top team in London. Everton doing that thing. Fulham now within a win of safety. Daniel, you're itching to draw some conclusions, aren't you? Always, yes. Yeah, I'm I'm pleased for Fulham in a kind of, um, well, pleased for them in that they seem to have picked up, but also that it it might provide us with some tension because (laughs) the top four tension always feels a little bit manufactured in that it's not, you know, it's not for a trophy and it's not to stay in the Premier League. So, and I think we needed a team to claw back a little bit because, yeah, otherwise with the Euros following, it felt like the last few months of the season might be kind of played out at walking pace. So, yes, I'm glad. All right. Well, I'm not sure if West Ham feel the same way about the lack of interest in the top four race. Are you ready for West Ham in the Champions League, Dion? I think so. I think it's uh, what David Moyes deserves after so many years of missing out and things going wrong. Are you also ready for a player born in 2004 to be gracing your Premier League screens, Adrian? It's amazing, isn't it? I couldn't believe it when uh, when I, when his date of birth came up. Quite remarkable. I, I already feel ancient having uh, having a son that's in that's in his twenties. It just doesn't right. feel right. So, uh, but so to see someone considerably younger than my own son and uh, getting a run out in the Premier League was just a bit scary. So this was Shola Shortire. That's that's how it's pronounced, is it, Daniel? Yeah, it seems to be either Shortire or Shuratire, depending on which commentator you listen to. But yeah, you make the point that he was born in Newcastle, 
16 years ago, so there's a fair chance that the Shola is a tribute. Yeah, I had a look to see if Shola had scored the night before he was born. <laughs> um, he scored, I mean, I don't know if he was pre or or post his due date, but Shola did score sort of roughly nine months before. But um, yeah, I don't want to cast any aspersions on anyone there. Quick story about Shola. I used to be, for, for a brief while, Shola Amiobi's ghostwriter. Um, back in the days when, when these top players had their own personal websites. And uh, yeah, he showed me around the, the hood up there in, uh, in Newcastle, went, went to see him. And yeah, he told me the story of his, of his flat appearing on MTV Cribs. Yes. And uh, <laughs> Sir Bobby Robson was straight on the blower after it appeared on, the, on television and said, Where'd you get your telly? That looks amazing. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> it just just cracked me up. That that that. No, it might not have been a telly. I can't remember. Hang on. The the best thing about that cribs is that Shola has this or had this table which used to light up in different colours, which might have been what Bobby was referring to. That might have been it. You know, yeah. it, was, it was it was something like that, and he was just cracking up mainly because what is Sir Bobby Robson doing watching MTV Cribs? <laughs> well, yeah. Great lad, though. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Carl Anker pointing out that the first World Cup that this Shola, Shola Shortire, will remember is South Africa 2010. Yeah, I mean, it's unacceptable, isn't it? Mm. I think we can all agree that. Well, uh, there'll be a lot more of that coming. Uh, anyway, let's have a quick uh, round-up on the state of play after the weekend's action. A Monday night, there's still Brighton Crystal Palace uh, to go, but for now, at the top, City won again. Uh, took them all of 88 seconds against Arsenal to score the winning goal. They're 10 points clear, as they were before. At the bottom, Fulham's victory over Sheffield United means they are now three points behind Newcastle, who were defeated at Old Trafford Sunday night. Three points thus from safety, with, of course, a meeting with the Magpies on the final day of the season. In between, top and bottom, you've got Man United and Leicester still jostling for second. Uh, Leicester were 2-1 winners away at Villa. Behind them, West Ham have moved into fourth place. They are two points clear of Chelsea. While Liverpool and Everton, after the derby on Saturday, are now level five points from the Champions League places. Right. Dion, you're all about West Ham, two points clear in fourth. Top team in London with a third of the season to go. Yeah, um, extraordinary uh, um, season for West Ham and for David Moyes. And I I think one of the things that was impressive today was that the, the way they actually went at Spurs um, and got the early goal because it contrasted a bit with, say, the Liverpool game where I think there was a sense that some of the old David Moyes habits were there with you know a cautious display against a big side. Now, whether you feel more optimistic and more confident if you're West Ham playing Spurs at the moment, you probably do. Um, but then getting the early goal, uh, it helped them hugely in that regard. And I think it's... it's um, it's been an extraordinary season for West Ham. I think a season perhaps that could not have happened maybe if there wasn't if there wasn't a pandemic. I think the uh, the empty stadiums has been a huge advantage for uh, for West Ham to find their confidence to actually to be free of let's be honest to be free of their supporters a lot of the time. I think it would have been trickier for them to build themselves up the way they have done if there was actually still supporters in the ground. But now having done so. They can welcome supporters back next year 
uh, and uh, everyone all friends again and everyone everyone happy to see each other and it'll be a glorious scene of harmony everybody needs a little time away they sure do the chicago sangle all those years ago but well, that's nice but do you think they can do it realistically Dion? do you think on the final day of the season it will be them taking up that coveted champions league spot they've got a tough run of games coming up man city man united leicester leeds wolves and arsenal are the next six opponents not necessarily in that order i think it's good it's going to be tough like it is it is going to be very tough for them uh but there isn't Chelsea apart. There isn't a team there that you would say you expect to make a, a big run. I, I think Liverpool's season, um, and we'll get on to them. But Liverpool's season has reached a stage where there is no kind of. There, I don't think there's any salvation for them this season. So, uh, like West Ham should be should be confident that they they can do it because they're they're. In, in in a season like this, they're in a strong position at this point. Well, uh, West Ham's goals from Mikel Antonio. Nice to see him back. And also Jesse Lingard, which makes it three goals in four league games for him, Adrian. Yeah, what a pickup in January, you have to say, from, from David Moyes and the, and the team at West Ham. The recruitment, they've nailed it, haven't they, in, in recent times. And he just looks liberated, doesn't he, uh, Jesse Lingard? He looks like a player... That, that hasn't had a lot of football, that's just massively hungry to go out there and start enjoying himself again. And I think he just walked into that dressing room and felt, you know what, I, c- I can make a difference to this team. And and he, we know that he's not short of confidence. And he's he's applied that confidence in exactly the right way. Another really, really smart finish. From him, you describe West Ham as the best team in London. Team is the word. I think... They are the team that's the most comfortable in their own skin. Spurs are at sort of loggerheads with themselves over which way to go. Arsenal is a team very much in development with a long way to go. And Chelsea have a new manager and a new identity and no one knows what their best eleven is at the moment. West Ham are absolutely sure about what they are and what they want to be. I, I really, really like the team that he's built there. Just getting back to Jay Lings, he obviously had a very purple patch at Man United and, and then stopped having one. Do you think this is different? And if so, what, why do you think? Because it wasn't that he wasn't getting game time at Old Trafford, he just wasn't scoring anymore. I think it's just a case of being the big fish sometimes in, in, in a slightly smaller pond. I think at Manchester United, he was surrounded by players that were always talented enough to to take his place if he wasn't if he wasn't doing the business. And I don't know, I think maybe he, he started to feel like it doesn't really matter how well I do. I'm never going to be the first choice here. And sometimes when you, you rock up somewhere new where you know that, that the gaffer likes you, you know that you're certainly the equal, if not better than, than the guys in your position, it can just give you that, that bit of confidence. It might not last. He's an attacking midfielder. He's, he's never been hugely consistent. But but for the here and now, he's been a great impact man, hasn't he, for West Ham? Certainly has. He might also have been troubled by some form of existential crisis during his time, but Old Trafford, because as we mentioned before, the, there was that incredible interview that he, he and Marcus Rashford gave to UEFA, where they're kind of just chatting with each other and Jaylings goes off on this thing about, do you ever look at the front of the program and think is that really us and Marcus Rashford goes it's amazing isn't it he goes no but is that really us are we really there and he goes we actually play for you 
<laughs> how do we know though? That is us, how do we know? You actually don't know though? No, but you do. You don't. You do. You don't. Right, just think for, for five seconds. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> ooh, uh, David Moyes getting his first ever win over Jose Mourinho at the 16th attempt, Daniel. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we don't need to dig up old graves in terms of Mourinho's struggles too much because this taught us everything we knew. They were, they were far better than West Ham in the final 30 minutes. They probably deserved a draw, but to my mind, that, that that's as much as criticism as it is any praise because that it almost showed that the only way that Tottenham can get this kind of head of steam in attack is when they, they're in this emergency situation where they kind of have to throw players forward. That doesn't scream of a strategy. It screams of you know, an emergency reaction, which is kind of the antithesis of what we came to know of Jose Mourinho as a successful manager. I thought the most interesting thing were his post-match comments because they, to me, felt like a resignation letter. He, t- he spoke to the BBC and he, he said, I feel we're not in a position in relation to our potential. And if I think for a long, long time that we have problems in this team and they're problems I cannot resolve by myself as a coach. And he was asked, you know, do you blame yourself? And he said, well, no, I'm the best coach in the world. And so why would I? And you kind of think, you know, this is a guy that came into Tottenham saying, I love this squad. I tried to buy the players before. It's brilliant. I've changed. I've looked at myself. You know, I knew I needed to change. And and I mean, we suspected that was hogwash at the time. And and it's proving to be exactly that because, you know, how he can expect to be back to the tune of however many tens of millions of pounds in the transfer market he would like when he's getting nothing out of, out of players. There's probably only... Serge Aurier, I think, that he's improved since he came to the club. Pierre-Emil Hoiberg has done brilliantly since he joined. But that aside, I don't think he's improved a player. So, yes, I wouldn't be surprised if he was sacked in the next three or four weeks, honestly. I think Harry Kane's improved. I'm not saying that's down to Jose Mourinho. No, maybe, maybe. But then his output was already pretty high, wasn't it? <laughs> but, um, yeah, but but playing this new newer role, dropping in has, has added a bit of a new dimension to his game. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, but, but isn't this the case? Isn't this been the case for Mourinho for a long time? This idea, everyone always clings to the idea. Of whatever he announces in his uh, unveiling press conference, he will say, "Oh yeah, it's different this time. It's different this time." And it's always the same. And it's always been the same with diminishing returns for for you know uh, not not ten years, but for a long time. Even at at Chelsea, the second time when he came back and he was, you know, I'm this is the club I love and. You know, I, the, thinking about it, watching Moyes beat Mourinho for the first time, there was all those stories about when Moyes got the United job ahead of Mourinho and Mourinho's reaction at the idea that Moyes would get the job at United ahead of him when Ferguson left. And now you, you fast forward eight years and this is where he is, throwing out the same kind of conspiratorial lines about, you know, this isn't this isn't me that's the problem. There are other problems, there are factors outside my control that are the reason for this. And it's it's just another version of the same tired line. Daniel's story, that's you actually, Daniel, hey, uh, <laughs> tweeting that the failure to beat West Ham means that Mourinho now has the lowest win percentage, league win percentage, of any Spurs manager since Wandy Ramos. <laughs> but he but did far. at least win a League Cup, so yeah. He did, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fine. I was going to try and be a bit more positive about Spurs here because, as you mentioned, they were very exciting in the second half as they brought on all these players that you thought, my goodness, they've got quite a squad there, haven't they? And uh, they were very good against Wolfsburger uh, last Thursday. So are there things that Josie can go away and and build on? And am I just living in dreamland? 
there are if he if he chooses to build on them but that kind of abdication of responsibility in a post match again doesn't necessarily enamor it, it smacks of attention deflection more than it smacks of I'm looking forward to getting on the training ground and seeing where we can move on up from here and the players I mean Adrian will know more than me but I can't see how any player really reacts well to that other than to think we've kind of heard this before maybe if it was his first job you might think well hang on a minute we need to pull our socks up but is it going to work anymore I don't know um did he praise up Gareth Bale post-match because I, I thought Gareth Bale came on and, and and did brilliantly actually his attitude stood out to me um as a player that really wanted to impress maybe he feels it's sort of last chance saloon I don't know but but we definitely got glimpses of sort of the good Gareth Bale I thought in that second half wasn't that, as Daniel said earlier, I thought that was a sign as well of a team not with a plan, but, and even more so the fact that Bale was at the heart of it, it almost suggested this is a team actually saying, we're going to go and do what we have to do now. Whatever methods and whatever approach Mourinho has, has, has forced on this team, it's not working in this moment and the team is just going to go out and play. And that's what they did. They played with the, a, a bit of freedom. Now, maybe it was a freedom because they were behind, but it, they did play with a bit of freedom and a bit of expression. But I wouldn't, from that, take anything at all about that. That they're that they are they are signs that Mourinho that Mourinho can work on really. Mm. All right. Well, six defeats in their last eight. West Ham, meanwhile, is, is David Moyes the shoutful manager of the season, given what we expected at the start of this campaign and where they are now, and, and beyond the goal scorers who I name checked, who else? would you big up for this performance and beyond? They're just a team, Adrian mentioned earlier, but they're just a team completely built in the manager's image. You know, he deliberately sacrificed the, um, probably due inverted commas, but, you know, the talent, which was Yarmolenko, which was Fournals, who does still play semi-regularly, which was Issa Diop, which was Sebastian Haller. Um, he sacrificed... Yeah, exactly, Felipe Anderson. He sacrificed all of that very deliberately to create a team in his own image, which is, and there are some perfect disciples of, of that image in that team. And that's, you know, the two Czech players, Suchek and, and Kufal. That's Jared Bowen, who, he, Jared Bowen is a fantastic young footballer. You know, he, I look at him and I think that's, he looks a player to me, that that's what Iosi Perez should be at Leicester. Someone that is incredibly hardworking, but seems to produce. And that's what Moyes wants. You know, he doesn't just want workers. He doesn't just want players who are going to, you know, blood, sweat and tears for the team. He wants to be able to combine that with skill. And, and, and Suchek and Bowen, for me, are the perfect examples of that in that team. Mm. Uh, the other teams involved around that area of the Premier League were Man United Sunday night. 3-1 winners over Newcastle. It was a bit hairy there. In the first half for United, but they came through in the end. Uh, how did you feel about the penalty, which kind of broke the deadlock in this game? Yeah, I, I, I was surprised that Joe Willock didn't make more of a fuss about it, which probably means he that he did kind of stand on the end of Marcus Rashford's toe, although you, it was very hard to tell that from the replay, shall we say. Um, but yeah, you're right. Newcastle were the better team for most of the game. Uh, they looked tired in the last 20 minutes but uh, yeah United were pretty sluggish well very sluggish in the first half and were lucky to be level really mm. I think there have been far worse refereeing decisions this weekend than, than that penalty <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to them over the course of the show um, the thing that I that stuck out to me here was was maybe Martial 
you know, a great opportunity at home to Newcastle to to get some goals, to put in a performance that, that puts a bit of pressure on Cavani, who, who has to be the number one striker there now. And, and, and it was another misfiring performance from him. I, I actually think he's their fourth best striker. I'd have Cavani, then Rashford, then Greenwood, then Martial as, as, as the number nine, personally. Mm. So um, I think he's, he's quite lucky to be getting as much game time as he is. United emerging uh, from a victory over one of the bottom clubs in the Premier League for once. Uh, Leicester keeping pace with them in the battle for what is probably second place behind City. They had a 2-1 victory away at Villa, who were without Jack Grealish. He's going to be out for a month, apparently. And uh, Man United's next opponents, Chelsea, on Saturday, dropped points away at Saints. A couple of big talking points here. One, Saints not losing. And two, Thomas Tuchel's post-game interview in which he called out Callum Hudson-Odoi. Now, controversy Claxon here. Adrian, there's kind of two schools of thought. One, that he had every right to let, uh, let Hudson-Odoi know that that kind of lack of application as he saw it wouldn't be tolerated. And two, that he's crossed a line and humiliated his player. And at Chelsea, a club known for its player power, he will be uh, feeling the, the squad's wrath. What, what, what do you think the reaction is yeah, as a former player yourself, Adrian. Yeah, my take on this is that, yes, he risks upsetting the player, but the wider message is probably more important than how Callum Hudson-Odoi is feeling because he, he wants to lay down a marker. He wants to set a standard and he's just sending that message to the whole squad that if you dip below that standard, I'll embarrass you. I'll take you off and I, and I, I will call you out. Now, would he have done it if Aspilicueta had produced a disappointing half an hour or an Angolo Conte? I don't think so. I think that Callum Hudson-Odoi is, is a slightly easier target as a, as a young, impressionable kid. That's that's my honest honest um, assessment of it. I think that Callum just has to take it on the chin and um, and use it as a spur. Really, I, I don't. What I did like about Tuchel's follow up to the criticism was look tomorrow. It's all gone. We start again. He could he could easily start the next game. So as long as that is the case and he doesn't hold grudges, and as long as Callum doesn't hold a grudge against the gaffer, I think they'll be fine. And actually, I think if they both approach it sensibly, Chelsea will be better for the decision. I, I quite liked it. Okay. It's slightly concerning that you say that he wouldn't have done it if it was a slightly tougher. Do, do you think he would? Honestly, the know. other guys, I don't know. I I just like, I just feel would they? I would you like Aspilicueta or Conte wouldn't probably do that. Like I don't think you would get you. You wouldn't see from them what he saw in Callum Hudson Odoi. I don't think so. Maybe he wouldn't. I know what you're saying, but I think those players he knows what he's going to get from them, and they also have probably got uh, a body of work, if you like, in that regard. People always say you shouldn't throw your players under the bus and criticize them on TV, and, and certainly Frank Lampard got. Uh, a lot of criticism for that, and it possibly even contributed to his departure. But it was interesting how that seemed to be specifically what Tuca was looking to do. He leapt on the the, the question post game and and wasted no time in saying to everyone, "Yep, took uh, Callum Hudson Odoi off because he wasn't doing enough." Uh, almost like he was throwing down a bit of a gauntlet to the team. You know, you mentioned Jack Grealish earlier. I thought there's something really interesting about that in that Dean Smith was furious that news of the injury had been leaked to and Leicester had got wind of it. And apparently the rumours suggest 
that it's because a number of Aston Villa players and coaching staff took Grealish out of their fantasy teams. And that was spotted. And therefore, Leicester realised that if they're all doing that en masse, it's probably because he's out, which is really interesting. I, th- I mean, I can see why Dean Smith's angry because it's obviously it's a nothing thing. And uh, I think that there was two of the first team players who who took him out of the team, which, yeah, I just thought was really funny. No, that's that's interesting. It's very much a growth area, that. Uh, yeah. Andy Robertson's another one who has previously been used as a, a kind of weather vane for squad selections by seeing who he picks for his his team. <laughs> So do, do do rival clubs send scouts then to to the pages of fantasy league players from other clubs? Is that is that it, how we roll these days? I think it was more that there are enough self-professed fantasy football experts, or certainly aficionados, that they trawl the 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 pages of famous players and find out who are affiliated clubs and find out who they've dropped. Yeah. This is just another example of the games gone, isn't it? Like scouts used to be <laughs> drinking Bovril and having pies and now they're logging into fantasy football. <laughs> the game's enhanced by it, Dion. It's a, it's a, it's a major plus. Uh, so now I was just going to say for Saints though, what a lovely goal from Minamino. Yeah, he, he's another who, like as exactly as Adrian said about Jesse Lingard, looks like a player who's enjoying playing football again. Uh, and with a you know with a responsibility, not coming on for ten minutes at the end of a game to, you know, get bedded in. But injuries there mean he's starting most weeks, and he looks all the better for it. I, I'm so shocked that Liverpool let him go. I don't know if there was a breakdown in relationship or he 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 forcibly pushed for the move. But when you look at how stagnant that front three looked, and and he didn't look brilliant when he was playing for Liverpool, we should say. But I'm surprised that they let anyone go. Quite frankly. Uh, given the injuries they had. And yeah, he looks a player for Southampton. Yeah, can you think of any reason why Liverpool might have thought it was a good idea to reverse the flow and send a player to the Saints? No, I, I guess he he didn't look like he was enjoying his football that much at Liverpool. He wasn't playing that much. But I mean, if, if Sadio Mane had got injured a week later for a month or so, they'd be cursing themselves, I think. And they did it at a time when Diogo Jota was, is out injured. Um, you, if he was fit and firing, maybe you could you could understand it more. But yeah, strange one. How worried should Thomas Tuchel beyond the Callum Hudson Odoi repercussions, etc., be over the performance away at Southampton? I don't think he should be overly concerned. They're just a bit dull at the moment, aren't they? Do, do you not think? I mean, it, it just feels to me like they're knocking the ball around really nicely, but going nowhere. The one player, the one ray of light, I'd say at the moment is, is Mason Mount. He definitely looks sharper and and and, and uh, more penetrative than any of the other players at the moment. That's the big worry. I think that they've adapted to his style, to his coaching, and they will improve. But but yeah, the lack of incision at the moment is is slightly worrying. And and also this back three that contains. Some mediocre defenders, in in my opinion, I think is going to, going to come under a, a lot more strain in, in the coming weeks than it has in, in the first few games of his of his tenure. When they come up against a decent side, yeah, we we might see um, we might see them struggle because for me that is that is an obvious area of weakness uh, in terms of what he's inherited at Chelsea. Okay, because it's been the the area of strength so far under him. This only the second. Yeah, but they because conceded. they've got the ball. 
they, they're right. defending with the ball. So <laughs> no one can score if, if Chelsea have the ball for 85 of 90 minutes, can they? It's, it's very, very difficult. But when they come up against teams that, that, that will be able to have more of the ball, yeah, I, I think, I think they're, um, it'll be different. Well, as mentioned, they have Man United coming up next weekend. Before that, they've got Champions League, Atletico Madrid, the Liga leaders, La Liga leaders, uh, a game that will be taking place in Bucharest. We'll be hearing from Alvaro Romeo about that later on, what he thinks is going to go down in uh, Romania. Uh, Man City also in Champions League action, of course, this week. On Wednesday, they'll be up against Borussia Mönchengladbach. That one's in Budapest. Uh, we'll preview that in Tuesday's Euro Totally show. Uh, Man City, Adrian, you will have seen making short work of Arsenal on Sunday, uh, scoring Raheem Sterling with the header just 82 seconds in. Uh, Mark Davidson asks, I don't know if Arsenal did OK or City never got out of first gear because that was pretty much where the game ended. Yeah, I can see exactly where the, where he's coming from. It was... Yeah, it was a bit flat. I think I think that Mikel Arteta will be happier with the performance than Arsenal's fans. That much is clear. I think tactically, in terms of the off the ball shape and structure, it was pretty good for for the most part, barring that that nightmare first five to ten minutes. But I think Arsenal fans want to see more, more conviction going forward. Want to see a bit more bravery, a bit more freedom and. And, and there was none of that really, and, and City definitely didn't get out of out of second gear. I think the one area he really needs to work on, Mikel Arteta, at the moment, is injecting a gear change into matches. When Arsenal fall behind, they don't tend to to react brilliantly to it. I think they've lost nine of eleven matches where they've gone one nil down now, and there doesn't seem to be. A dramatic plan B. It's very like for like with substitutions. There's not much of a formation shift. I'd like there to be a more adventurous alternative way for Arsenal to get themselves back into games. And and, and that's something I think they'll be working on um, over the coming months. As for City, they have now, on their last three visits to the Emirates, opened the scoring after two minutes, three minutes, and then again this weekend after two minutes. Uh, they've now racked up, was it 13 straight wins in the league? They had Kevin De Bruyne playing about an hour of this game. Sergio Aguero wandering the sidelines, looking ready for action as well. Uh, so it's all looking pretty rosy for them. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think they played uh, played that well, but it, when they win games like that and, and hold teams off at arm's length, it, it almost felt like it was a deliberate ploy to just keep themselves on their toes and, oh, let's win this one 1-0 one and see if we can grind. It almost felt like trying to win a different way. I'm sure it wasn't. Well, and like I'm sure spotting a pocket in, in, in pool. Or yeah, something. but Guardiola knows that the Champions League has always given them um, more of a headache than the, the league has in their dominant title-winning seasons. And there will be a time in the Champions League when they're forced to deal with either adversity or Baxter against the wall. And they they quite simply, you know, they haven't been behind in the Premier League since November. So they just haven't had that kind of um, angst. And they had some angst today. There was a, a rash clearance from Cancelo. There was 15 minutes where they defended really poorly. But I, I think he'll be happier that they, they did it like that because it almost showed that they can. And, you know, we had John Stones and, and Ruben Diaz high-fiving each other when they cut out balls and they just haven't needed to do any of that recently so yeah I didn't think they played that well but kind of ironically I think they'll probably be happier for it 
scary prospect for Borussia Mönchengladbach. We'll talk about that game with Rafael Honigstein, of course, in Tuesday mornings totally. Up next, though, events on Merseyside. Oh, mate, keep going. We're almost there. Oh, the legs have gone. Pressing is hard. The weather is so mentally fatigued. All right, lads. Already on the way down, are you? That was a view from the top. <laughs> Liverpool might have peaked under Klopp, but at Paddy Power, if things aren't going your way, we'll give you your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. That's right, September 1999, Blue by Eiffel 65 was number one. A young Adrian Clark had just got off a train to Carlisle on loan from Southend with a bag full of boots and a pocket full of dreams. A young Dion Fanning had just moved to London and was a couple of weeks away from travelling to Macedonia to watch the Republic of Ireland concede an equaliser with 11 seconds to go. A very young Daniel Storey, meanwhile, was 13 and was at Nottingham High School. Hearing tales of a junior boy named Bamford tearing it up on the nursery playground. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Mm, Not sure what you were doing, listener, 22 years ago, but of course Everton were winning at Anfield, and I read this weekend that apparently they hadn't done that since. Imagine that. Anyway, well done, Everton, because they've now finally ended that. Uh, The same side that a week ago lost 2-0 to Fulham, and that I think had only won one game in six coming into this clash, which is, for me, a bit mystifying. But first off, well done, Everton. Yeah, Everton were, were exceptional. I think they they were organised well. They they knew what what would trouble Liverpool in terms of attack and in, in defence, the way they defended, the, the way Ancelotti set them up was, was perfect for combating Liverpool as they are at the moment, as they are this season. Uh, and there was a, a, an awful lot of exceptional performances from the Everton team. So they, they did... They did deserve it. They didn't. There was nothing. There was no. There was no luck about the performance. The penalty probably wasn't a penalty, but it doesn't really make any difference. And I think uh, uh, decisions are becoming so boring these days that I, I've almost kind of disengaged from actually, you know, debating whether whether things are penalties anymore because it's just it's so pointless. Um, but. They they totally deserved it. There was nothing. Liverpool couldn't look and say if if something had gone another way. If 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 the referee had looked at the at the screen for a few seconds longer, they would have got a point. It, it didn't. None of it made any difference. Yeah, they're just a brilliant away team, James. They just have yeah. They're set up very well by An- by Ancelotti. It was the right decision with the personnel available. With Holgate having to sort of come into the the middle with Keane, who I never like really in a two, but in a three, he's got a bit more protection. Godfrey's a fantastic talent, and and as and as a trio, I think they they balance one another out really well. Um, yeah, midfield, 
they sort of outwork Liverpool at times and and they had the match winners up front, didn't they? Obviously, Richarlison from the Hammers pass and then Calvert-Lewin wins the penalty. These guys are, are class players. But but the thing that strikes me about Everton at the moment is efficiency. Here's a stat for you. It's now 13 matches in a row where they've been outshot by the opposition. 13 matches in a row, yet Everton are extremely high in the form table, even though they've they've, they've had a couple of dodgy results at home. They've, they've picked up some terrific wins. They're not a team that, that are going to dominate opponents. They're, they're a side that, that pick you off. And they pick, they pick Liverpool off very, very cleverly and preyed on their obvious weakness at centre-half. Mm-hmm. We should also uh, give some love to Jordan Pickford, who certainly had plenty of the other stuff in past appearances, but mm-hmm. the uh, previous derby, for example, but looked pretty outstanding here. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool didn't, Really, they had plenty of shots, but the, Pickford didn't make an outstanding save, which is exactly what Ancelotti would have planned for. You know, he he made he made decent stops, but he didn't make what he didn't make a save where you'd think if if that had beaten him, it wouldn't have been disappointing or it wouldn't have been a mistake. They just defended really, really well. You're a hard man to please, Daniel. That what about that Henderson shot? That was that was a worldie, wasn't it? I well, I couldn't have saved it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm with you there. I also could not have saved it. But I just, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I think it was all down to the defending. That's as well as I've seen. I've seen Everton a, a fair bit this season, and they defended well quite often. But that's as well as as disciplined as I've seen them. What, having seen them a lot this season, Daniel, what what are your thoughts to their as regards their consistency and uh, the chances of this being actually something that a run that they'll continue on? I think they got. I mean, they got James Rodriguez and very quickly he became the absolute, you know, the centre of that team. And there was that move where he'd pick up the ball, he'd dip in field, he'd play it to Luca Dean and Dean would surge forward and cross it for Richarlison or Calvert-Lewin. And they scored something like four or five goals really early on like that. And Dean was injured for a while and Hammers was injured for a while and Allen's still injured. I just think they've got a really good first eleven, but not much else behind that, basically. Although uh, they were without, I mean... <clears throat> Calvert-Lewin came back in. Yeri yes. Mina was missing at the bat, but they still look wonderful. Uh, yeah. Mm. Well, good stuff. As for Liverpool, another week, another defeat. Here's the stat, Duncan Alexander. First time Liverpool have lost four in a row at home since television was invented. Crikey. <laughs> Henderson becoming the latest big-name casualty. Uh, should Liverpool fans, Dion, write this season off? After all, even God has it in for them. Yeah, uh, I think they probably should. I think it's uh, it's over, and I think th- th- what happened on Saturday is a very sure sign of how things have fallen apart. Because you can't look at Liverpool team and think there's anybody, with the exception maybe of Salah for the goals he scored. There's nobody playing well this season. Minamino is Liverpool's uh, best player this season at the moment. He's the only Liverpool player in form, um, and it you know the injuries keep making things worse the fact that they keep getting center back injuries uh which makes things you know even more i think the midfield looks tired um i i think i think the whole thing is just sagging and i think it's it's an it's a consequence i i feel of last season what they achieved last season and then having to go into this season straight away playing without fans and everybody says Everybody has to do that. But everybody didn't achieve what Liverpool did last season and do what they did the year before as well to so, go so close to Manchester City. So I think I think what's happened this season, playing football in a pandemic with very short pre-season, 
has accelerated uh, the end of this iteration of Jurgen Klopp's first Liverpool team. I think they probably would have had another year or so in normal times, but the fact that they've had to do what they've had to do has accelerated it, and this season has just sort of emphasised that. And I think when he says God is a Man City fan, I would actually say if God is a Man City fan, he wouldn't even be bothering watching Liverpool Everton on uh, on Saturday because he think this has got nothing to do with Manchester City winning the league. I see. They are still alive, of course, in the Champions League, Liverpool, and fresh, if I can use that term, from a fine win last midweek over RB Leipzig. More of that kind of thing when those two teams reunite in a fortnight or so. Speaking of the Merseyside derby, though, you may have noted that today, if you're listening on Monday, is the 30th anniversary of that famous 4-4 draw at Goodison Park between these two teams in the FA Cup, the one that ended with uh, Ronnie Moran and uh, Bruce Grobelaar almost coming to blows and King Kenny resigning. Uh, interesting piece in The Athletic which suggests, by means of a quote from Martin Tyler, that it was the game that convinced the B-Sky B-Suits to in- invest big money in football, allowing thus the sport to properly begin in, in 1992, a couple of years afterwards. Um, is there a game that has similarly had that kind of seismic impact on your life, Daniel? Is there one match that has changed the course of your your life? Uh, yeah, and it's 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 the last game I didn't go to. If that makes no sense, it's it's the game before I went to my first match, which is the nineteen ninety one FA Cup final. <gasps> that had a huge um, impact on my life as well. It did indeed. Yeah, it did. Anyway, <laughs> Adrian, what about well, you? Purely in terms of yeah, only only from selfishly making my Arsenal debut. That was that's the game that that, that changed yeah, my life, I guess. I'm still it. I'm still dining out on it to this day, all these years on. Um but yeah, my full debut was a was a real treat. Arsenal three, Queens Park Rangers nil, Boxing Day ninety five. And yeah, I think I've got the man of the match on the radio and they, they sort of um dragged me up the up the up the stairs to to speak to Jonathan Pierce afterwards and and whatnot, and it was um, it was all very exciting. It was wonderful, and uh, yeah, never never ever forget it. Was that Jonathan Pierce when he was doing his capital? It was, really? yes. Wow, he was the shoutiest commentator in Christendom, wasn't he? <laughs> he was, he was. But I I much preferred Jonathan Pierce when he was Capital Gold Radio really? commentator to, to television version. But that's just oh, really? a personal preference. Interesting, because yeah. he's got, they're almost like you struggle to identify them as the same person, which you know speaks to how multifaceted he is as a broadcaster. A very nice chap as well. Can I the great uh, the great Jonathan Pierce moment was when he was commenting on Eric Cantona's Kung Fu Kick and. Because he's Jonathan Pierce, when Cantona had been sent off for uh, like a kick out, he'd already gone to 10 out of 10. And he was saying, this is a disgrace. Cantona has to go. And then obviously he did something more. And his voice kind of goes to this level where you're like, well, you weren't expecting this, were you? You really weren't expecting to have to go any higher than, than 10. It's so good. A man of such wicked temperament. A man who has been quite rightly dismissed. A man who has now got... Oh, my goodness me! Dion, is there a game which changed your life? Um, maybe not a game, but I would say uh, a training ground changed my life. The training ground, Ireland's training ground in Saipan before wow. the 2002 World Cup, the bumpy training ground and the lack of 
balls and training kit that didn't show up and that angered Roy Keane so much that uh, journalists who were there, who were like myself, who were on our way out there, they had had 10 years of uh, 10 years of material to work with. So uh, <laughs> so that was the uh, training ground that changed my life. I so. All right, well, very shortly we'll discuss uh, 90 minutes that might well have changed Fulham season. Nice segue there. Uh, their uh, victory over Sheffield United on Saturday. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. All right, it's on. Fulham are now three points behind Newcastle. Newcastle in 17th place. Newcastle will be at Fulham on the last day of the season. Uh, that could be an absolutely extraordinary finale uh, to what might well be the only open kind of remaining question about this Premier League season. We shall see. In the meantime, though, this 1-0 win over Sheffield United, I'm not sure, was it you, Adrian, who said that wasn't the worst refereeing decision of the weekend earlier on when we were talking about the uh, Newcastle penalty. Uh, was this one in your mind, the, the the penalty that wasn't given for Sheffield United at the end? It's up there. Yeah, I, th- I think it probably was the, the worst decision of the weekend. I mean, it's just biggest belief, doesn't it? I'm a little bit like Dion. I mean, I do, I, I do find myself getting so riled that I have to tweet occasionally in, in protest at these decisions, but it is becoming boring. But not only was it clearly a penalty... You know, he's took a swing. He's, he's caught him across the across the shins. I mean, it's a pretty dangerous tackle as well, in my view, probably worthy of a red card. And yet, David Luiz can get sent off, making no challenge, when a striker's stud clips him on the knee. I, this is why we're all up in arms. It is an absolute liberty, and it's and it's a joke. And and yeah, I just think that that the, the people at Stockley Park need to. Need to be more critical of themselves come the summer and and make some changes. All right, Adrian. Glad you didn't want to discuss penalties and refereeing decisions. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I admire your 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 passion, and and I think you're you're not alone in that view. I mean, Sheffield United took it in remarkably uh, good spirit. Really, I mean, if if that had happened to a to a bigger team, a more vociferous manager than Chris Wilder, right. then I think that. that He's, yeah, he's pretty vociferous, create. isn't he? I, I, I would have thought maybe he's just a bit resigned to the fact that they yeah. are bottom and very much going down. Great quote so. from him afterwards. He said, they won't have to put up with us much longer, yeah. but there'll be another promoted team that gets the poor decisions we're on the end of. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, yeah, it was a disgrace of a decision. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But, but yeah, look, 
Wilder as well, I think, has got... He should look at himself a little bit this season. I, I did a piece recently on, on, on the midfield, sort of analysing Sheffield United, and and that midfield that, that, that worked so well for them last year, Lundstrom, Fleck and Norwood, he's he basically ditched it. But when they've played together this season, they've, from the start, Sheffield United's results have been infinitely better, yet continues to to sort of chop and change in that part of the field, which I just find a bit a bit baffling. Hmm. Can, I mean, there must be some reason he's doing that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, as far as I know, Norwood's been playing okay, Fleck, Fleck um, Lundstrom. I don't, I don't understand. I just think that individually, they might not be the the best midfielders he feels he's got available, but as a unit, it works. And uh, I'm just really surprised that, that they haven't used them more often. That said, look at the goal. Basham, their best defender, right-sided centre-half, off injured. Where does the goal come from? Brilliant diagonal over the head of Ethan Ampadu, who's moved from the left to the right, feeling uncomfortable, looks very uncomfortable when Lookman chops inside him. And that's 1-0. That's, that's and then, of course, they don't get the decision. So you've got bad luck with the refereeing call and bad luck with the injury. I think it's contributed to, to, to that win for, for Fulham. Chris Wilder sounding a bit like Richard Nixon there with his, you won't have to put up with us much longer. Richard Nixon said that in 1964 when he lost the, uh, when he ran for governor of California and he retired from politics saying, you won't have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore. And four years later, he was president of America. So there's hope for Chris Wilder. Excellent. Uh, they're currently still level on points with Derby 0708, in case you're keeping track of that one. They didn't have any shots in the first half of this or even a single touch in the Fulham box. Just the one goal in that game, although Adrian says there should have been a chance for two. Uh, meanwhile, no goals whatsoever at Turf Moor, continuing its reputation as the least productive in terms of goal stadiums in the Premier League uh, this season. Not sure the actual number that they've had there, but it's not very many and there were none in this clash between Burnley and West Brom. Uh, Burnley's starting lineup, indeed previously to this game, had only managed five league goals between them all season, which doesn't sound like a lot to me. Mike Dean uh, returning to uh, Premier League officiating in this match. He'd asked to be excused the last weekend of fixtures after the abuse and even death threats apparently that he received uh, after he'd handed out red cards that proved quite controversial to Thomas uh, Socek and, and Jan Bednarak. I mean, this touches on, I guess, a little bit the, the ire we were feeling from you, Adrian, a short time ago. The, uh, the I think the frustration, possibly referees are catching this a bit as well because the, the machines in Stockley Park are essentially, there's no way of kind of expressing your, your frustration with those. So possibly it's the, the referees who are getting this instead. And possibly they always have had this level of abuse, Adrian. I don't know, did you used to? Uh, <laughs> I was always I was always very nice to referees. I was a bit of a crawler in the hope hmm. that they would um, you know like me enough to to right. give me that crucial fifty fifty when I needed it most. I always thought it was a, it was a really senseless thing to to wind up a referee. Well, um, that, but I guess the opposite approach is that it's more of the kind of Thomas Tuchel mentality of I, I will scare you to the extent you do not. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you, me. you all know I am I am not at all scary, and 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 I that see. will never be the case. Listener, it's true. Uh, but for Mike Dean to turn down the opportunity to, to, to be on television officiating a game, it, I mean, without being rude, it, it, it must have been pretty serious stuff. So um, that is quite terrible, 
over a couple of red cards. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I mean, it just reflects the kind of outrage. I personally, and I feel like I'm increasingly becoming the only one. I don't think refereeing has got any worse. I just think that we have changed and the game has changed. And VAR was intended and still is intended to get more decisions right. But it also indirectly just created another layer of outrage over refereeing decisions. And yeah, and death threats is is sadly because social media exists is the end result of that. And the thing that kind of gets me with this is that people who get so angry about I'm not talking about aging here I should point out uh, people who get so angry on Twitter about decisions it's as if they think that there's this kind of yeah secret cabal of referees waiting to be let out and coming re- like I watch championship games quite regularly and it's it's not much it's no better there and it you know there isn't an answer that is suddenly to release this flock of perfect referees into the Premier League it's going to take a long long time and it's going to have it's going to take I think the game itself kind of looking at how it deals with referees and trains at referees and rewards them at grassroots level and protects them at grassroots level because, yeah, there's a crisis coming. One of the driving forces for bringing VAR in in the first place, as far as I was concerned, was it would actually stop us endlessly debating refereeing decisions because you would have objectively right and wrong. Um, And once that's removed, which it clearly has been, uh, it, it it seems even more pointless because th- there is nothing as exhausting as the endless debates about decisions, which now go into a sort of fourth dimension about whether the referee got it right or, or wrong or whether VAR then got it right or wrong. And I understand why we have to do it. And then you throw in the cesspit of social media abuse on top of that. And it seems like you couldn't have picked a worse time to introduce a system which was meant to be flawless that turned out not to be flawless. And... Uh, I think as a, as a cocktail, it's 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 a very bad one. Well, fortunately, there was very little uh, of controversial nature in this game, uh, <laughs> as Dean, why you love Daniel because of the handball decisions. Yeah, yeah, I am. Okay, well, yes, there were some controversial handball decisions, well, the, but the, we don't like Mike, to talk Mike about Dean that. Mike Dean got it right on this one. He got he got the oh, Ajayi one right. That that okay. was that was deliberate handball. And what about the Carl Bartley one? No, well, he got let down by the by the um, VAR there. I mean, right. he did make himself bigger, Carl Bartley. In light of what we've seen, handball's given for this season. He's very, very lucky, wasn't he? Not 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 mm. to concede one there. And yeah, I think he was. Yeah, I, to my knowledge, Mike Dean didn't go to the side to view that. I think he was told it was no penalty, and I think he was let down there. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com.
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All the way back on Friday night, it was Wolves 1, Leeds 0. Are Wolves back? I think they've been they've been quite lucky over the last four games, but I mean they picked up ten points against difficult opponents, but uh it still feels quite flat. They managed to make every Premier League game dull at the moment, and their own their own supporters will will happily accept that criticism. If you can manage to resort Leeds to losing one nil twice to you in the same season, then you know, that's a fair effort and it's a perfectly justifiable strategy, but it is not pretty to watch. Are you are you watching more games than you used to, Daniel, from the Premier League because of the fact that they are stripped? Yeah, I don't think I've missed one in about six weeks. I wonder if you're getting Premier League fatigue. No, no, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, I, understand, I, I, I actually do think the only sad thing is that that kind of Saturday 3pm, which used to be right. a nice hub. Hmm. I mean, Burnley West Brom was... Right. You know, my yeah, it wasn't good. I, I my 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 domestic relationship would only exist if I was allowed to watch games with a sound down on a Saturday, which I do. And yeah, I mean it was a slog Burnley West Brom was. Uh so yeah, I missed that Saturday hub of games, but other than that, no, I love watching them. I can't believe you've not missed a game in 6 weeks. That's, that's well, I don't it. see why I mean I, we're shielding here. So I mean I'm literally not going out. So right. there's no excuse. Sometimes they do really. Put games on at the same time, uh, which was a major concern midweek for the, the Champions League because it involved actual decision making. Uh, yeah. But in terms of this game and being exciting and things, uh, Adrian, I know you were pretty thrilled with uh, Neto once again, and, and to an extent, Adama Traore as well. Uh, yeah, I like, well, I like them both. I, I think that what's happened in the last one and a half games is that Nuno has, has flipped them. So Traore, as we know, is a, normally a right winger. Neto's is ordinarily left. He flipped them at half time at Southampton and it worked. They went narrower. They supported William Jose better. It was a good tactical move and 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 they did the same in this game. And and I don't think Traore scores the goal if he's playing on the right. He obviously chops him from, from the left and spanks one that obviously gets a bit of luck off the keeper. So so yeah, look let's credit Nuno for, for that little switch. Probably should have done it a bit sooner. Um, so yeah, I, I love Neto. I think Neto is destined to be a Champions League player in in the not too distant future. I think they'll do really well to to hang on to him. You forget how young he is. He's he's brilliant. I'll tell you who the other one that I really like in this game is Rafinha. He looks he looks mega at the moment. That left foot of his is is dreamy. Really um, should have pulled a couple of assists out of the bag. In this game, and I, ju- I just think as our as our right sider cutting in on his left, he's right up there. Obviously, Riyad Mahrez is probably the the pinnacle of that that genre of winger, but uh, Rafinha has a lot of potential. I think that was a great signing. Which player do you most look forward to seeing at the moment, Adrian? Oh, in the Premier League. Oh, that's a really that's a tough question because because there's there's a lot of exciting players. But I when think you think oh it's so and so against so and so great because the, the, he'll be playing and I can yeah it, I think the one that I always purr over is is De Bruyne um, just because he's so immaculate so smooth hmm. um, just just doesn't really have any weaknesses um, but I tell you the young player that that really excites me the most is is Phil Foden. I just, I just, just love the way he glides past players. I, 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 I make no excuse for it. No, I'm not ashamed to say, but when Jack Wilshere burst on the scene as a teenager at Arsenal, I was, 
I just couldn't wait to see him because he he was exciting every time he got the ball. He went past players. He was just smooth. And and Phil Foden is you know he's, he's better than Jack Wilshere. He's 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 the best talent I think I've seen England produce for a long time. So yeah, I can't wait to sort of see how far he can go. Yeah, absolutely. Dion, who is there somebody who you kind of will change your plans to see? I suppose Fernandez at United this season has been uh, has been somebody like that. Um, I think Foden as well. Adrian's right. Like he's and there's something thrilling about a player like that coming through, and especially at a club like Manchester City, where it it goes against the 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 approach for you know for a club like that that there is a, a player coming through the ranks that you know has the ability or it seems to have the ability to surpass any of them or as uh, you know or, or to match them. So. Uh, there's something especially exciting about that. Mm. What about you, Daniel? Uh, Romelu Lukaku. All right. Uh, you must have enjoyed Sunday afternoon then. Indeed I did, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I just, I mean, I've always, I've never made a secret of it to sort of parody levels, but um, yeah, I think he's a sensational player. And in a way, I kind of appreciate the, the reported Pep Guardiola interest because I think it would be really interesting to see if he kind of streamlined him into this you know he, he still looks like a 21 year old at times that tries to do everything Lukaku as a striker and I think if you streamlined him he could be sensational but he already is so he could do what he wants and yeah that right. third goal today was was ridiculous. Yeah this was the Milan derby uh, which Lukaku won with Inter against Milan. He also won his own personal derby with Zlatan Ibrahimovic when the pair had last been on field together in the Coppa Italia mm. uh, quarterfinals. They'd had a bit of a set too. So actually, after that third goal, when he went to the corner flag to celebrate... Yeah. He was Are you going to do the full quote, James? Or? No, well, he, <laughs> I mean, it, there were rude words involved, but he basically ironically called out Zlatan as, God, God. And then swore at him a bit. Oh, but that's the bit I heard. Was there something else? He's, yeah. He, well, he just kind of said, it, it's me, I'm the king here, yeah. kind of thing. Which is which don't really expect from Lukaku, which probably shows how much Latin riled him up. Well, yeah, because, he, I mean, he was very, very... He had to be held back, and the thing went on for minutes back in the Coppa Italia game. But, mm. but yes, anyway, so uh, having the last laugh from Romelu Lukaku and Inter now very much on top in the City A title race... Returning briefly to the Premier League, uh, of course, Monday night we'll see Brighton take on Crystal Palace. That's at eight o'clock. Do hope you enjoy it. We'll be reviewing all the uh, thrills and spills from that in Thursday's show. Uh, very shortly, though, as mentioned, Alvaro Romeo will be along to give us a heads up on what to expect when Chelsea visit Atletico Madrid in Bucharest. Before we go to that, though, let's get some odds from Lee Price from Paddy Power. What do we want? Free Delhi. When do we want it? Now. He shot to overnight superstardom, emerging as one of the country's most exciting entertainers. But now, under the management of a conservative boss, allegedly, Delhi Alley is no longer performing. Tottenham are ninth in the table, and Delhi's fallen behind the likes of Phil Foden, James Madison, Jack Grealish, Mason Mount, and probably even Jesse Lingard at this stage in the England pecking order. So I want to use this platform to call for his emancipation. And in entirely unrelated news, Paddy Power make Jose Mourinho the most likely Premier League manager to leave their job next. So it could be a short-lived campaign after all. Speaking of freedom, Brighton play with structured abandon and little large fullbacks and are rightfully favourites against Crystal Palace tonight. 
Fans of the visitors have been demanding the club is liberated from Roy Hodgson's tactical restrictions and their prohibitive 4-1 to to win. Tuesday night, meanwhile, sees Twitter's favourite team, Leeds United, in action. Their fortunes, though, are being held hostage by the manager's insistence on not playing a goalkeeper in goal. The hottest ticket in town, according to every single pundit on the TV, Leeds are 23-20 favourites to beat Southampton. The Paddy Power traders clearly are under their spell too. Right, I'm off to beg Paddy to release me from this segment. Chat soon, probably. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Quick heads up if you're looking for some listening material over the next few days. Uh, there's the Totally Football League show. That's out uh, on Monday. Might be out by the time you hear this, actually. Among the many stories there, uh, Daniel, no Cherry Henry at Bournemouth. No, Jonathan Woodgate seems to be the mm. latest... England English manager to bump and fail his way slightly upwards, having Crikey. left Middlesbrough in a very precarious situation. He's now got a club that desperately needs to get back up into the Premier League, which is mm. a, a slightly odd one. It, it also sounds like Nigel Pearson is going to get the Bristol City job in the same city as Joey Barton is going to get the Bristol Rovers job, which is is a sitcom waiting to happen. I think we can conclude <laughs> yeah tomorrow's show james is going to be pretty lively yeah i'd imagine what a shambles bournemouth though what a shambles i mean they've said that after an extensive search he's the best candidate it's clearly not the case i mean jonathan woodgate failed at middlesbrough he's not the best candidate available for to take them back to the premier league they've clearly been refused permission to to bring in thierry Henry now and they've just holding under Woodgate until he comes in the summer. Um, mm. Yeah, I just absolute mess. It'd be nice for whoever's doing the post-game interviews from now to the end of the season, though, because he's box office in those. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's a shame not to see Thierry Henry rocking up at the Vitality, but there you go, another time. Also uh, out in the near future, the Totally Scottish Football Show, uh, Tuesday, that will drop. And no doubt uh, bringing you a lot of analysis on Celtic's latest misadventures. They lost this weekend against bottom of the table, Ross County. Rangers now just need seven points to seal the title. The next Old Firm game, you're never far away from one, but it's coming up in a month. It could happen. It could happen that day. Or possibly the week before and then Celtic have to give them the guard of honour, which might be equally entertaining. Rangers... Meantime, also uh, continuing their excellent run in Europe with that come-from-behind 4-3 victory against Antwerp last Thursday. They'll be having the return leg of that next Thursday. We'll, we'll look ahead to all the European fixtures in the Tuesday Totally Football Show with Alvaro James, uh, Julien and Raphael Honigstein. We'll be talking about the Milan derby. We'll be talking about a weekend that saw both Bayern and Atletico Madrid losing and uh, previewing, of course, the midweek Champions League action. But speaking of that, ahead of Chelsea's trip to face Atletico Madrid this Tuesday, let's get a quick heads up now on the former runaway, but now not so much Liga leaders from Alvaro Romeo. Alvaro. Listen, first off, Atletico, maybe not as scary as they were a month or two ago. 
Yeah, I would agree with that uh, assessment and that opinion because I think that this time Atletico has changed a lot. I mean, when the Champions League draw was made, uh, it was the 14th of December, uh, Atletico was used to winning, leaving a clean sheet uh, in the league and that seemed to be uh, what this team did best. Uh, Atletico conceded only four goals in the first 11 league games. Well, since then, in the next 12 league games, they have conceded 12 goals. So you can really tell that the, they have gotten worse uh, when it comes to defending. Uh, they don't win two new games anymore. And little by little, uh, Barcelona, and especially Real Madrid, are catching up with Atletico. Uh, by mid-January, it looked like uh, they were set to lift the trophy definitely before May. And now you can really tell that uh, there are some doubts in there. I really think that the, um, having so many players uh, injured hasn't helped at all, obviously. Mm -hmm. But the problems are a little bit more profound. For example, uh, they are conceding a lot of goals in the first half of the games, which uh, obliges them to come back and sometimes uh, coming back, despite having Suarez in a decent run of form, coming back uh, sometimes is uh, very difficult uh, and it was impossible against Levante this time. One win in four now, I see. Levante, you mentioned there, who beat them 2-0 this weekend. That's after the two sides had a 1-1 draw uh, last week. That's, as I say, one win in four. It's seven league games now since they kept a clean sheet. Uh, they had 28 shots without scoring, so that you know, testifies to those problems that you mentioned up front. Uh, has there been an element of focus on Chelsea? And, and you see these two teams playing a lot. So what do you think is going to happen when they welcome uh, Chelsea to their adopted home on Tuesday? Well, I think that uh, Atletico wasn't thinking about Chelsea this time. Uh, Atletico is uh, following that philosophy of Simeone of partido a partido, and I think that they did their best against Levante. Uh, also in midweek, they just couldn't win. And at home, uh, we have to praise the goalkeeper Cárdenas, uh, who did 11 saves against Atletico, and that is very, very, very remarkable. And uh, some of the saves uh, had a lot of merit as well. So I think that... Uh, this game is going to be very interesting from the tactical point of view because I can see that Chelsea is playing with fullbacks again, uh, attacking fullbacks, and uh, Atletico is trying to do the same thing. The problem for Atletico this time is that the best fullbacks they've got, Kieran Trippier, cannot play this game because he's still suspended. Mm -hmm. And Yannick Carrasco, uh, who is playing fantastic on the left, and in fact, he scored against Barcelona back in November playing an excellent game, he's out for this game. Uh, so it's looking like Atletico... They have a plan, uh, they want to attack from the wings, but they cannot do that uh, with their best uh, tools or players. So you will see some players out of, the, of position probably. Uh, it's very likely that Marcos Llorente, their best attacking midfielder, plays on the right. And that is obviously, that goes in detriment of Atletico because Marcos Llorente can be very committed to play in that position, but at the same time, Atletico is losing an attacking asset. So I think that... Uh, I, Chelsea is going to be probably better on the wings. And uh, when it comes to the boxes, well, Luis Suarez is in a, is in a good moment. I mean, he, he didn't score against Levante in the weekend, but at the same time, he was about to score with a beautiful free kick. He's taking a lot of responsibilities, also taking set pieces. And I think that he is definitely the most dangerous player of Atletico de Madrid. And let's not forget that he hasn't scored for Atletico in the Champions League this season. So I can imagine that he will be ultra motivated playing against Chelsea. Mm, interesting. They didn't have the best of times in the group stage, actually, Atletico, when they were racking up the wins back in La Liga. Only two victories in their six games in the group group stage. Uh, these two sides met back in the 17-18 Champions League season with Chelsea going through. They had a 2-1 win away at Atletico that year, a game notable for uh, Antoine Griezmann's extraordinary 
bleach blonde kind of bubble perm haircut thing that he was wearing at, at the time. It sounds, Alvaro, like you're making uh, the Blues heavy favourites for this encounter. No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I think that Chelsea has improved a lot over the last uh, six weeks. Atletico's level has gone down a little bit, uh, but I think that this tire is very, very, very contested and it's going to be pretty tight. Uh, I would have said in December that Atletico was the favourite. Right now, I'm not saying that. Uh, and another thing, they've got some players in the sidelines as well, um, in the central defence area. Uh, Jimenez uh, won't be playing and he's probably the best central defender they've got. So, yeah, unfortunately for Simeone, uh, he's got some problems in the defensive department. Uh, the problems are piling up there and that may mark Atletico for bad in this case. But yeah, I wouldn't say that Chelsea is the favourite, no. All right then. Well, we'll be catching up with you again in Tuesday's European Totally Football Show, Alvaro. So many thanks for joining us today and see you then. Thanks to you. See you guys. Alvaro Romeo, as I mentioned, a full preview of all of that kind of thing in Tuesday's show. Dion, what are you most looking forward to seeing uh, from the midweek European games? I think Chelsea. Really? I mean, I'm, yeah, I think that'll be an interesting game. Lazio Bayern. Atalanta against Real Madrid. Atalanta, who had a huge win this weekend against Napoli. And uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Man City, the other options are from the Champions League, whereas in Thursday's Europa League action, it's all the returns from last week's ones. Uh, what's your pick, Adrian? Uh, no, you can't. You can't look beyond Atletico uh, against Chelsea. I right. think City. City are going to wipe the floor with with Mönchengladbach. You'd imagine. Um, Lazio, Bayern, Munich could could be interesting, I guess. But but yeah, no, for me, Atletico. Atlanta Real. That's the one. Stroking my long beard and uh, yes, Daniel and yours. Just before I let you go, I'll just go for Atlanta Real. I think there James, please. Yeah, nice, very good. Well, we'll be back on Tuesday with the boys to preview all of that and Thursday to review it. As much of it has happened by that point. That's it for today, though. So many, many thanks to Dion and Adrian and Daniel. Catch up with their work throughout the week when they've had a bit more time to consider what uh, what's taken place. Uh, and uh, do join us for all our podcasts throughout the next few days. For now, from all of us here, listener, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.